my friends grace mercy peace be to you from god our father and from our lord and our savior jesus christ amen this evening we're continuing the lenten series on mountains that lead us up to mount calvary where jesus died on our behalf and tonight's featured mountain is Mount Sinai, sometimes called in the Old Testament also Mount Horeb. The mountain range itself is east of Egypt in the desert, and not a very high range. It's about 2,260 feet tall from sea level. And many scholars think that it was also Mount Sinai, the place where a moon god of the Mediterranean peoples was being worshiped. But tonight, for us, it's the mountain where God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments. I don't know about you, but when I was a child, I used to play a game and I'd count my marbles or I'd count my beans on my dinner plate and I'd say the little poem that maybe some of you used to say. It had to do with these words. Huh. As soon as I find them again, my memory is not right there. <clears throat> it was rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief, then what? Lawyer, doctor, lawyer, and merchant chief, or an Indian chief. And the idea, it's a silly poem, but the idea was that it, the, the, the role of the individual you'd end up on was the one that you were going to become when you grew up. Growing up, there's always a question of how do we grow up? To be what? To be who? On Mount Sinai, God gives that answer to Moses to pass on to the Israelites. And here is how he did it with these words. Moses, you remember, went up to the mountain by himself. He left his aides behind him. And there is this lonely man, over 80 years old, and there's a thick cloud on the mountain, and there's the clapping of thunder and lightning, and there's a trembling of the rocks and the trees, and then there's the sound of a shofar, not a driver, not that kind of shofar, it's a shofar, a ram's horn, and then a voice from the heavens comes out and says, these words now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession my crown jewel and you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation for us humans to become a holy nation is an impossible task we just haven't got the wherewithal to do it. 
we are already when we come into this world somewhat predisposed to be our own king or our own God in our life and since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden we've all been distorted on the innards at the heart so for us to become a holy nation to the standards that God considers righteousness and holiness is indeed an impossible task it's impossible and it makes a shamble of all the efforts that we might try on our own to get right with God to get to do what he wants us to do what he designed us to do in accord with his will but consequently it means like Saint Peter once said in his first letter he said no matter how old we are or how much we have achieved or had desire to achieve we can never arrive at the perfection that God expects of us oh, being holy in scripture is another way of saying growing up what are you going to not do when you grow up what are you going to be when you grow up and you are going to be says God a royal priesthood or a kingdom of priests and a holy nation now that's our dilemma we can't do that there's no way in the world we can get there and before we start blaming the Israelites for not doing it either you know what they wanted to do they thought that they were not to become a holy nation but a power nation and they wanted to be like Egypt or Babylonia or Assyria in their day God said that's not what I had in mind I'm going to send you some prophets and they're going to tell you that you're headed in the wrong direction the prophets the prophets got dismissed or killed in either way Israel began to worship false idols local gods regional gods gods of fertility sexual immorality and the like and you know what happened the consequences of their idolatry led them to become a political football that got tossed between the big boys the major powers of their day they ended up in exile and their country was demolished such is what happens when we take our eyes off of the right goal the goal of becoming the holy nation that God supplies the power for at the same time that we struggle to do what God has designed us to do there are those moments when we have a longing for something better moments when we we want to get out of the darkness that surrounds us get out of the turmoil that's going on in the world around us I remember one of those occasions when my wife and I were in Germany in the year 2000 we went to see the passion play in Oberammergau if you've been there there are thousands of people that attend that it runs all through the summer 
When we got there, the summer was not summer. It was quite cold, unusually cold. In fact, they were on the third Jesus in the pageant for the summer because two had caught pneumonia. But that aside, what we had was this. In one of the latter scenes where Jesus is on the cross and he's dying, he's struggling to lift his frame to catch oxygen and breath. And then he slumps and he dies. There was a silence that went all over that audience. It was a deep silence, as deep as I have ever heard. And it lasted. It covered the teenagers, people from different nations who were in attendance, old folks, young folks, all kinds of people. And that silence lasted for a long time. Inside of us, there is that longing for just such a moment when the impact of something most unique and God-driven catches our heart. Well, back to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was a place where God brought the commandments. You remember he had to do it twice. When Moses came down with the tablets first time, Aaron had already set up an idol, a golden calf, and uh, things did not go well. The tablets got broken out of anger. Moses had to go up and get another set. Now, the commandments, you've got to realize, are not something that God uses to bludgeon us but they're his guidelines, his desires on how to have a rich and full life under the canopy of his forgiveness and mercy and love. God is not that evil judge who's sitting in the rocking chair up in heaven waiting for you or me and our, our misconduct and then slam dunking us He's there to say, you want to live, really live. Here are some guidelines for you. Now, they're important guidelines, and they're beyond guidelines. They are commandments. But nonetheless, that was how they were given, because if you heard how he started the discussion with Moses, he said, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who's leading you to the promised land. All grace all mercy, all liberation and freedom from Egyptian slavery is what drove God to care so much as to give these guidelines to his people. Well, so God gives the law and no one escapes from it. The law was given to do a couple of things. One is to kind of curb the way we live, just like curbs keep you straight on the road. The law is also to serve as a mirror that you look into and you say, uh-oh, I've not lived up to that which God desired of me. I don't even live up to my own standards. And so everyone who has lived 
has found him or herself convicted, condemned, under not keeping the law in accord with God's desire. So we've got a, we're in a pickle. We've got a problem. We've got a status that is nothing but trouble. You see, sin flows out of the heart. You remember Jesus said, out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, and so on. Well, the same thing happens with these Ten Commandments. Out of the heart comes idolatry, misuse of God's name, not worshiping him as he deserves, not honoring our elders, our parents, our authorities, hating and killing, sexual immorality, adultery, theft, bearing false witness, gossiping, and then coveting. Those are all things that destroy the relationship that God desires to have with us. And furthermore, that kind of misconduct disrupts all of our relationships with others. So here we are. And it's a night to thank God. I mean, thank God for real. For you see, as we place our trust in him, he is then able to form us into his holy nation. And how does he do it? Two pieces of wood in the form of a cross upon which God in Christ died for all of our misdeeds. He took our place in the punishment. And the ledger for ourselves is wiped clean before God. Two pieces of wood and a perfect life leading up to it. And then, three days later, the victory over the last enemy you and I are going to face, death itself. So what does all this mean for us tonight? Here we are, Austin, Texas, Bethany Church. It's an evening devotional service. On the way to Mount Calvary, we stopped at Mount Sinai. Well, I'll tell you, it means that without a Mount Sinai bringing us information about how we have failed to live up to God's standards, we'd be at a real loss. Because you see, the law is given in order to turn us away from evil, but at the same time, turn us toward a rescuer, since we can't rescue ourselves. And so the law acts as a driver and says, you go this way to say goodbye to sin and evil, and you go this way to the cross, where your Savior is there for you, for everyone. And without knowing our dire condition of having failed to abide by God's standards, then we wouldn't know that we need a rescuer, would we? And without a rescuer, we have, as one of my pastor's friends said, we end up as damned, dead ducks with no hope at all. But then St. Peter comes along 
And he tells us in his first letter, by God's grace and the actions that Jesus took on our behalf, you are a chosen generation. You, me, hadn't thought of myself that way. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That's the crown jewel part. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into light. And that, my friends, is why we needed to stop tonight at Mount Sinai en route to Mount Calvary. Amen.